Well, greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line. We're flying solo today, so I'm sure lots of stuff is going to be all messed up and wrong, and I don't even know if we're recording or not. <laughs> it says we are, and um, so as long as it says that, I'm going to have to trust it. Um, which which brings me to my, my first, right at the end of the program, uh, last week, <clears throat> I saw a story, and have you ever just sat there and gone, how did the movies get all this right long before it actually happened? I mean, you know, we've thought about 1984. And it's like, okay, uh, Brave New World, uh, Fahrenheit 451 or whatever it was. Um, uh, a Brave you know, brave New World and uh, one of my favorites, um, This Perfect Day. And these are all back in the 70s and stuff, and it's it's all happening and then we start doing these genetic vaccines, and we're going, I am legend. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, well, I saw a story. The news had come out uh, that in a, uh, in a simulated test, the Air Force was testing an AI program. And... They, they told the AI program that it got points um, for destroying enemy anti-aircraft sites or something along those lines. But the AI program had to get uh, permission from a human operator to strike. And it figured out that when the human operator said no, that it lost points. It wasn't going to get the points that it could have gotten. And so, <laughs> and so it... So it killed the operator. <laughs> Why not? Um, or then I think when they when they told it don't do that, then it destroyed the communication capacity of the operator to tell it the program to stop doing this, to not not make the strike. And I'm like, how many movies did we make about this happening? I mean, the entire Terminator series. <laughs> And there were ones back in the 60s, you know, about computers taking over and launching missile strikes. And it's like, here we are. And the scary thing is the people that are warning the loudest about it are the people who have made these things. And they're going, this could get really bad. And I <clears throat> obviously a lot of professors are asking the question, how how are you to know if a paper that has been turned into was written by the student or by AI? Um, is there a way to find out? Can you, there's so, you know, I've not used AI. I have not gone to any of these bots. You know, I, I saw someone mention it months ago that you can go to chat something or whatever. And I just... I just made the decision then I'm not interested in helping to train these things because that's what you're doing. You are aiding, you're, you're, train, you're helping to train these things. You're helping to make them more intelligent. And I have no interest in, in participating in that, so I just never have. But I've seen a lot of other people doing it. And, you know, everybody's saying, it's hey, it's the thing, the future. Google and all that kind of stuff is going to be irrelevant as far as search engines are concerned. Um, AI is the is the way to go, and yet um, I've seen all sorts of funny stuff, even about myself. People have asked questions about me, and um, I think 
was it Tom Buck? I think maybe Tom Buck told me he was asking AI about us and stuff like that. And it had connected us. It did connect us together. But I think it said he was a Presbyterian at some point or something. I don't, I don't know. It, there was a lot of silly stuff in it. It was nowhere near uh, fully accurate, just like the results of almost any search engine search you would put in will give you all sorts of responses and all sorts of answers that are not, not accurate. Um, but I don't know how we're supposed to know. And uh, if, if a paper was written by AI, because I've never used it. I don't know if you could go to a, I guess there's a bunch of them now, but I don't know if you could go to one and say, was this paper written by you? <laughs> and whether it would tell you, whether it would tell you <laughs> honestly, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, really, really don't. But all comes back to worldview. It all comes back to worldview. You know, Elon Musk is doing some some neat things, but he's also doing a lot of things that are very questionable. And his push toward the interface of the human mind with the internet, basically, I think is really, really, really off off base. And is very, very dangerous. And as Christians, we haven't thought these things through yet. <laughs> there's, there's so many things that we have not thought through because we've not been faced with them before. And the real, the real question for a lot of us is we, we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. Um, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention's getting together real soon, and it's. It seems really plain to me, very, very plain to me, that this whole Rick Warren thing is a scam. It's a, it's a planned thing. That they're being put out was a planned thing. Uh, that the people did it. We're doing it in cahoots with Rick Warren to force the SBC. They won. There, were, there was one last shot last year, I think. And the progressivists won. And so they're like, all right, let's do exactly what the U.S. government's doing. Uh, they're establishing a mono party. And they're just, they're running with their victory with, uh, with Biden, you know, and let's do the same thing. And so let's, I just saw Rick Warren, literally, I just, I, I didn't, it didn't, it's not up anymore, but I literally saw Rick Warren saying, that the Southern Baptist Convention needs to be a mission-defined denomination, not a confession-defined denomination. So they they want to change the the Southern Baptist Convention, the the Baptist faith message. Um, <clears throat> they already have themselves. They've already decided we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Instead of just being open and saying, well, we take an exception to this, we take an exception to that. Um, they want to fundamentally change things. And I I tweeted this morning. Just look at history. Every mainstream denomination that is shriveling up into nothingness today, this is where they started. This is this is this was the the place where they they made the decision to yeah okay we really can't find a biblical basis for this but so the the question of scriptural sufficiency we hear about all the time the conservative resurgence in the SBC uh, all the rest of that stuff. It doesn't mean anything if you can sign a confession that says you believe in inerrancy when you can, A, redefine it any way you want to, and B, don't believe in scriptural sufficiency. But what does scriptural sufficiency even mean? 
in our modern day, there are just a lot of people that would say, how can it be sufficient for today? We're facing so many new issues. We're, we are literally facing issues that the church has never faced before. The church has never had to face um, <clears throat> genetic manipulation, has never had to face uh, human uh, cybernetic interfacing, um, transgenderism, which right now is just nothing but mutilation. But you know, what, what, if, they, what if they could change that in the future? These are things the church has never faced before. And so, a lot of thoughtful Christians are going, how is Scripture sufficient to address issues that have never been addressed before? Have never been before the the, the very attention of the church. And this is where, you know, I remember a couple years ago, there were, well, it wasn't all that long ago, you can't use the term worldview. That that came from this philosopher or that philosopher, whatever. This is where a Christian worldview. That is, this is where having a, the mind of Christ. Would, would you do you prefer that one? Having the mind of Christ, having a functional Christian worldview. That is, you have foundational truths. Foundational truth. There's one God who created all things. Um, there is one God who is accomplishing his will and his purpose in this world. That it's all going to result in the praise of his glorious grace. He is going to be vindicated in the existence of evil and in how he guided the events of history, in how he brought about redemption. He's going to be vindicated in all these things. It's all going to be to, be to his, his praise and his glory. Okay, those are fundamental foundational things. And as Christians then, we are called to take those foundational truths and make application in our lives. Up to this point in church history, it's only been in the modern few centuries that we have been encountering things that have never been encountered before. The, the, the Romans were extremely advanced in their military techniques, weapons, things like that. And there wasn't all that much advancement until the modern period. You still pretty much had armies riding around on horses and firing projectiles at each other. And, okay, you get gunpowder, and, okay, that does something there, and things like that. But now, nuclear weapons and space-borne weapons and lasers and... Um, genetic weapons and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, this is a, this is a, these are new challenges. And so, how can we even talk about Scripture being sufficient in that context? Goodness, there's an article out uh, yesterday. Um, some whistleblower saying, we've got alien spaceships and we know that they are, they were not made by humans. I'm not sure how you know that, but because everybody that works there has seen every single Stargate, SG-1, Star Trek, and Star Wars movie, television show, cartoon, and read every out-of-canon book. <laughs> every single one. So they know. They can tell. I don't know. Anyway, I, I right now, there's almost nothing that comes from any source whatsoever, especially anything related to the government that 
I ha- I think has any reason to be believed at all. Anyway, uh, uh, all this stuff. How, how do you believe in scriptural sufficiency? And I will submit to you that right here, this is why we will see all the progressivists abandoning even a pretense of belief in scripture. Most of them already have. You look at the the you know PCUSA, United Methodists, um, the liberal Lutherans, uh, Episcopalians, uh, all these all these folks over there. <clears throat> They've already abandoned any meaningful concept of inspiration or uh, consistency of scripture, anything like that. But you're going to see the rest doing the exact same thing. Um, they have to. The only way to continue to believe in scriptural sufficiency is to have a view of scripture that views it not only as being God speaking, God breathed, but that it was God's intention and purpose that the scriptures, as a <clears throat> as a united whole, were to be in the possession of his church. And if you don't have that perspective, and I, 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 I know, I think it's just a spiritual default where new believers just come to believe that. It's, I think it's, I think it's just comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And so most of us are like, well, what else is there? Well, there are lots of other views out there, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of the fact that if we hold those perspectives, if we have that high view of Scripture, we are in the small minority right now as far as um, the various groups that identify themselves as being Christian. Without that perspective, you, you don't have the doctrine of the Trinity, you don't have the resurrection of Christ, you don't have any of those things having any definable meaning, any any meaning that you can proclaim to the world, this is why this happened, this is why the the crucifixion is so important, and things like that. And so, those of us who have those convictions will then be able to think those convictions through and go, all right, God has spoken, God has given examples to us in Scripture. And so, we can then make application of these things to uh, the rise of AI. And we can say, God has called us as human beings um, to behave and act in certain fashion that would not include the turning over of our responsibilities to digital masters over us that would not include the alteration of the human mind so as to uh, bring in artificial mechanisms. Now, I recognize, again, this is an area that a lot of us haven't thought through. And, you know, we're all sitting here using computers right now. Is that a violation? Well, I don't believe so. Um, this computer is not being inserted in my body. I am not altering my uh, physiology 
my created nature to interface with the computer. I'm using it as a tool. And so just as I don't think the printing press violated any aspect of the Imago Dei, I do believe that uh, there are chemical substances that would violate that. Obviously, anything that causes a person... One of the greatest activities of the Holy Spirit in a Christian is self-control. So, if you use substances that make it impossible for you to engage in self-control, then that's an issue. That's, that's a violation. And if you turn your control over to a machine, uh, that would be a violation. And we need to be thinking in terms of the goodness. When God created Adam, he said he was good. And we need to be thinking in terms of the goodness of the natural creation. This is already obvious in dealing with transgenderism. Um, transgenderism is a, is a denial of the goodness of God's creative order. Full stop. I mean, that's just, that's what it is. It's a, it is a full-on, I have given you over to your own destruction, rebellion, against God's created order. That's all there is to it. So, uh, with that in mind, there are gray areas that we just haven't, well, I haven't done the reading in and I haven't necessarily seen a whole lot of discussion. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure there are people who have um already started this conversation, but it's a conversation that's going to need to continue on. And it probably would be good to be doing it now while we can have it globally. As I sit here in our studio, I'm speaking to people all across the globe. And right now we have that freedom to have these conversations and to hear back and to learn from people from other perspectives and from other places. And um, now's, now's the time to be thinking about how do we communicate to the next generation the goodness of the original intention of God in creation over against the secular rebellion and destruction of the goodness of God's creation. We see what we see what's happening. We see the sexualization of children, we see the mutilation of children, we see the murder of children in the womb. We see uh, euthanasia uh, uh, taking place. We see the desire for eugenics, again, another fundamental rebellion against the sovereignty of God in history. And We've been warned <laughs> by scientists themselves what the possibilities could be here. Um, when you start playing with genetics, the results could be absolutely catastrophic. They could not be outside of God's control. And so we have to have this conversation. We, we all need to be thinking about um, well, we all need to be thinking about 
not wasting so much of our time thinking about nonsense, about shallow things, about silly things, but thinking deeply about important things and speaking about these things with one another. Um, I think it's really, really important. And I wasn't going to get into all that just from the AI-controlled drone that took out its human master. But I can guarantee you in the uh, computer rooms at the Air Force, they have already assigned a picture of a Terminator to that particular drone program. <laughs> you just, you know it. It's not, it's not possible for that not to be the case. Um, <coughs> today, uh, news came down that, um, uh, Northern District of Florida Judge Robert L. Hinkle has granted a preliminary injunction against the law to pre- the law which uh, restricted minors from as- ac- accessing surgical sex change procedures, puberty blockers, and hormone therapy. Um, once again, the attack on language very much uh, at the at the center of these things. Uh, this is not um, therapy. This is not medical care. This is the mutilation of functional bodies, irreversible, with long-term impact that cannot even be defined. But I'm going to tell you right now: you, you'll, you'll, you'll get, you will get the final and full confirmations if you're allowed to have this kind of information. After I'm dead and gone. But I can guarantee you right now, and this doesn't take much to do, I can guarantee you right now that when you take a male body and you mutilate it, you cut off the sex organs, you pump it full of hormones from the opposite sex, um the long term impact on health vitality bone structure muscle heart and especially cancer liver kidneys uh it's going to be extremely negative the lowering of life expectancy will be dramatic same thing in reverse same thing when you mutilate a female body and pump it full of S- of testosterone. And then if you try to do the fake stuff, you try to recreate something that was never meant to be there. I can't even talk about it in the program. Well, maybe someday we'll do one where we just, it's only going to be posted one place and we warn ahead of time and everything. But you can right now read the stories, the horror stories. I first saw them in uh, Irreversible, it's called Irreversible Damage, is that what it was called? Anyways, it was the book I recommended a number of times. Um, There was a couple chapters in there on the surgical nightmares that people go through, the things they have to do every day. 
every day to themselves that would make most of us vomit. All to keep up this insane pretense of transitioning. It is it's tragic, but it's a just punishment. <laughs> it really is. Um, it, it is a fulfillment of Romans chapter 1 verbatim. It truly is. Anyway, these li- this, this attack on language, here you have a judge saying, great weight of medical authority supports these treatments. That is absolutely absurd. Um, you can think about how academia has been utterly corrupted by the culture of death. You cannot publish papers that you'll lose your job um, in so many areas of quote-unquote science now. You will lose your job. If you try to publish a paper supporting special creation, bye-bye. If you try to uh, publish papers specifically uh, demonstrating the fundamental errors of neo-Darwinian micromutational evolutionary theory, bye-bye. You're, you're no job, not going to get published, not going to get funded, nothing like that. Um, climate, there's so much evidence of the tampering, the fact that governmental agencies, NASA, has tampered with the data. They've literally changed it over time to try to make it look different than it actually is. You try to publish on that, goodbye, so long. You think in the psychology journals and areas of academia? (laughs) You you think that... uh, you think you're going to you're going to get accurate papers, peer-reviewed papers in that context? Not going to happen. It all this gender study stuff is it's just completely um yeah, it it doesn't work. I just realized <laughs> I didn't do something I was supposed to do before starting the program. So I'm hoping this is working. There's just a lot of little details, and there was there was one thing I I forgot to do, and it never crossed my mind. So we've gone uh, 27 minutes. I hope it's it says it's recording. We'll we'll find out uh, there. But next time I'll remember to do the one thing I I forgot to do. It would give me a little more control here. Um, I was realizing that what seems like a I need to stop talking so loudly, and then then I realized well there's nothing I can do about it, and then I realized. Oh, that's I, I could have if I had done what I was supposed to do. There's <laughs> a bunch of things um, to do. Anyway, um, so even though the state of Florida has attempted to care for its children by stopping their abuse, I mean, Lord willing, hopefully not too far down the road, but it could be. But Lord willing, someday people are going to look back at this time period and they're going to go, what on earth happened? Was something in the water? What happened to you people? Uh, Maybe we won't even be around to answer the question anymore. But 
you you actually you people were actually doing that stuff to children? You actually thought you could change genders? You people are you people were nuts. Yeah. Um there you go. Uh that's 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 quite true. That's quite true. Speaking of which, uh, just a couple others here. Uh June 2nd, uh Oxford College uh threatens to expel students who don't use the proper genders. Um on June 3rd, uh New Mexico state uh, the Democrat Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed laws um, that will uh, allow minors, not people who dig in the earth, but children, uh, to get, again, mutilated without informing their parents or without their parents' approval. It's very similar, I guess, to the insanity and evil of the Washington state law that would allow the state to take your children and mutilate them if you won't voluntarily mutilate your children. We, 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 we truly are facing a culture of death. And once you put these types of things into law, you are now making law evil. Uh, what was it that I saw? Oh, I was going to grab that. Um, I think it was in response to Uganda. And it was someone, I forget what the context was now. <clears throat> it was someone who was basically saying, well, that's not what government's supposed to be doing. Government's supposed to be rewarding the good and punishing evil. Yeah. Keep, keep going. Think. You're, you're just. You're sort of hoping that the person who wrote this will stop and look what they just wrote and went, "Oh, wait a minute." <laughs> but, but if 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 government's supposed to be rewarding good, then it has to have a objective standard as to what good is, and if it's going to be punishing evil, then it has to be able to know what what evil is. And oh goodness, what am I going to do now? What, what if the government decides that what is good is evil and what's evil is good? But Romans 13 says, I'm so... No, it doesn't. Because when Paul wrote Romans chapter 13, when he used the terms good and evil, everybody he was writing to knew what he was talking about and knew how he would define those things and what the basis of that definition is. And he was not saying Caesar gets to decide what is good and evil. And we just have to do whatever Caesar says. That's not what he said. That's not where he was going. Um, that's not how the apostles acted. When the leadership in Jerusalem uh, decided that it was good uh, for Peter to be killed, uh, and the angels let him go, uh, he didn't sit there on the floor and go, sorry, um, Paul's going to write Romans 13. As an apostle, I know this. And... Uh, uh, I need to say here because uh, that's how we, you know, uh, obey the um, the government, not how it worked. So yeah, it was it was <laughs> it's really really uh, hilarious when I, I I looked at it and it was a screenshot type thing of a 
article. And and I'm like, okay, and how do they know what good and evil is? Well, they, they don't know. Uh, so much of this kind of amazing stuff that it's it's hard to even know where to go. Um, let me see here. I forgot to pull up, and I apologize. I had a screenshot uh, that I wanted to look at. Um, yeah, here we go. There's a couple of them here that I wanted to look at. Um, we've got a little more on Ted Cruz. I'm very thankful. I really am thankful that the Cruz-Askell conversation is taking place. We all need uh, to see that. We really do. And I'm looking here for... Oh, is that the wrong one? Okay, good. Um, I don't see where that one went, so I'll just have to go off the top of my head. Sorry about that. If I if I even get to it, uh, we still got 27 minutes. At least I know where we are in the program. <laughs> um, let's do this because we're still on the same topic. Uh, I did a screen capture from Zach Lambert. And um, I suppose I, I could do this. Rich does this type of stuff. But um, let's, uh, let's see if we can. There we go. So Zach Lambert, uh, a well-known progressivist. Well, I don't know how well-known he is. But I've certainly seen a lot of his stuff. <clears throat> Bible verses about being trans, zero. Bible verses about homosexuality, six. Bible verses about promoting peace, 429. Bible verses about loving God and others, 714. Bible verses about caring for the poor, 2,000 plus. Well, there you go. There you go, right? I mean, that that's pretty much the end of that, right? That should pretty much take care of everything. Uh, is, and this is this is how progressivists think. This is this is how they, they go. See, uh, there's only six verses about homosexuality. Well, I think there are actually more than that. Uh, there are six plain, clear texts, all of which are fundamentally negative. And if he actually lists six, then that would mean he's admitting that arsenokoites is about homosexuality, which a lot of the progressivists want to try to uh, try to ignore. Um, but about promoting peace, okay? How do you how do you promote peace if you can't tell men and women what it is they're doing in their lives that is causing a lack of peace. Breaking God's law, separating yourself from God's will, is what destroys peace. Christ came to bring peace to repentant sinners, to those who are in him. And how did he bring that about? He brought that about by his sacrificial death on the cross. Why do you have to die upon the cross? Because God's wrath abode upon us. I'm sure Zach Lambert doesn't believe in God's wrath. But scriptural teaching is that his 
his wrath, because of his broken law, laid upon us. And so, by taking away that sin, by nailing those those written documents which were against us to the cross, he brought about the possibility of peace. See, once you pit these things against each other, you no longer have biblical peace because you're no longer talking about having an ability to define what's good, what's sin, what isn't. That's what progressivism is all about. You end up with a, you know, again, went through seminary with a lot of progressivists before they were quite as progressive as they are now. Um, and there was just, it was always so troubling because when it came to answering basic questions that Scripture is, is quick to answer, they couldn't. They didn't have a view of Scripture that would allow them to be able to do so. And it just was so muddled that I was, I was always going... And they, they never understood why I was involved in apologetics and things like that, because they don't do apologetics. They, they don't understand apologetics. They don't, defend, defend the faith? Why? Why? That, that, that just doesn't make any sense to them. It assumes an objectivity that they don't believe exists. And so I'm sure that's the case with, with Zach Lambert. But, but that first one, Bible verses about being trans. Takes us back to where we were before, right? Is scripture sufficient? Because he says zero. I say there's all sorts of, of scriptures that are relevant. Matthew 19 being the most obvious. Have you not read, in the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and defined male, female, husband, wife, father, mother, child, son, daughter, all defined by God's creative decree. So, is that relevant? Of course it is. Unless you have his view of Scripture. And then there's nothing in the Bible about being trans. And there's nothing in the Bible. If you read um, the same-sex controversy that Jeff Neal and I wrote years ago, I remember very clearly that one of the things that Jeff emphasized when we had our first meal at a Mexican restaurant together about how we were going to line out the book and who was going to cover what topics and things like that, he had already been studying this subject. He had done, he had led his church through a study on homosexuality back when it was not popular to do that kind of thing at all. And one of the things he said then was, well, look, um, most Christians do not have a meaningful, positive understanding of human sexuality from a biblical perspective. And so everything in Scripture that presents a positive understanding of husband and wife, male, female, the roles have been assigned, violation of those roles, fulfillment of those roles, those are all relevant to the subject of homosexuality. That's why it's not just six passages. You do have to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. You've got to deal with Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, Romans 1. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1. Because that's where you have specific mentioning of these things. But it's not like those exist separate from all the positive things that the Bible teaches about how God created us. What marriage is. Uh, what the family is. 
and all of the brutally honest, clear texts where man has failed to live up to those standards. It's all there. So this kind of a a thing like Zach Lambert gives us is truly pathetic. Really, really is. Oops. Hmm. Wonder how I did that. I do know. The button didn't really feel like it went down quite right, so maybe that was it. I, I got how did I get two of them there? That's pretty cool. <laughs> years and years ago, my <clears throat> my wife would do stuff on the computer, and I'd she'd go something's wrong, and I'd look at the screen. <laughs> I'd be going, "It's a new undocumented feature." I'm sure that they never never thought anybody would ever do that. <laughs> it's probably. What just happened? I'm trying to reach over here, I probably hit two buttons at the same time. And I should just play around with stuff, and I'll probably end up breaking things. But we'll uh, we'll try to avoid that for now, anyways. But uh, um, Ted Cruz responded to Tom Askell. Didn't respond to me. That's fine. Uh, Pastor, I don't know you, but I honor your ministry. Your biblical analysis is an error. Jesus told us to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. We are talking laws of man, not the Old Testament laws of God. Do you really believe that the U.S. government should execute every person who is gay? Secondly, Viticus also tells us, for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Should the government execute every child who is disrespectful to his parents? That ignores grace in the New Testament. As our Savior taught us, let he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Well, wow. Uh, yeah. I was sadly struck because I have a lot of respect for Ted Cruz. He obviously has a uh, a brilliant mind. He's very bright. Um, but I, I don't I don't know how anyone survives in Washington D.C. Just in Washington D.C. as a whole, let alone in Washington D.C. in political office. It would be. It's so destructive. And there are just some major problems with what Senator Cruz said here. The problem is most Christians would probably agree with what he said. First of all, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If that is a um, recognition of sphere sovereignty... Okay, but how is that relevant here? Because he's going to say, we are talking the laws of man, not the Old Testament laws of God. Well, notice it's Old Testament laws of God. So there's clearly an assumption held by many that the moral law found in the Old Testament just ends at Malachi or maybe John the Baptist, or maybe the resurrection, somehow there's some kind of disjunction in the sense that what was once representative of God's holy nature isn't anymore. Just not. Um, That's really dangerous, but it's very, very common. Very, very common. Um, Caesar doesn't get to make these decisions. Caesar will be judged 
by God about the decisions that he makes as to what is good and evil. Again, Romans 13. What's, what's the magistrate's job? To reward good and punish evil. Got to have a standard be able, to be able to know. By what standard? It's, a, it's, a, it's an old phrase, but there's a reason why it's an old phrase. It's important. Um, and so Caesar does not get to determine these things. God does. That's the first thing. Um, we are talking about the laws of man. But here's a question we all have to have to think about. Does a nation have the right to desire to be blessed by God? And how would a nation behave if it desired God's blessing and wanted to avoid God's wrath? The vast majority of Americans would say we can't answer that question. God doesn't care about how we behave. Because when you think about it, you would think that would be something that we're talking about in Sunday school. But we don't. How does a nation seek God's blessing? And it's not by writing songs saying, God bless us. (laughs) Biblically, a nation is blessed that walks in God's ways. And biblically, a nation is cursed that rejects God's ways. And so the answer is simple. Um, A nation that wants God's blessing will do what God says to do. And if Uganda actually wants God's blessing and says this behavior brings death, disease, it does not bring life, and those who engage in this activity through use of drugs or with children or with the infirm, we will execute, because that's what they said. That's what aggravated homosexuality is. If they are seeking God's blessing, are you going to say that is not God's way? It sounds like he's because that says, do you really believe the U.S. government should execute every person who is gay? A, it should not be the federal government's job. B, if local government makes the decision to seek God's blessing and say this activity is a capital offense, raping children, a homosexual rape of a child is a capital offense then yes, they should have the right to do that. No question about it. And if they turn around and say, no, not only is it not going to be, because every nation's got a God. And what's our nation's God right now? Look around. Look around. It's June 6th. It's June 6th. You know what we used to talk about on June 6th? D-Day. That's what we used to talk about. I remember going and seeing Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. 
um, when it first came out. I forget what year it was, but there were still veterans alive at that time. They were very old. And they were traumatized by it because it was so well done that it was so much like the real thing that they had never experienced that. And they were traumatized by it. But that's what we used to talk about on June 6th. Was the sacrifice of those men that stormed those beaches. And the thousands who lost their lives. And now, what is June 6th? It's just one of 30 days of the celebration of sexual depravity. And it's getting more and more obvious every single year that the focus of this is on the corruption of children. The sexualization of children, the mutilation of children, um, and the lowering of the age of consent. Um, Maps, minor attracted persons, pedophilia, that's the plus. That's what the plus is. Don't, Don't ever doubt it. That's the plus. It's right there. A nation has a God. And this nation wants the blessing of the God of the culture of death. And so while we have one day to honor our nation's fallen heroes from the past, we have 30. Did you see in Canada? (laughs) Um, Joe Boot quoted a tweet that said um, the federal government of Canada is rushing emergency funding for pride events somewhere in Canada. I forget where it was. Toronto, Ottawa. I forget where it was. Um, That are struggling with the costs of security. Your tax dollars at work. Your tax dollars at work. So, every nation has a God. And every nation is seeking the blessings of their God. And the blessings of the God of the culture of death is death. That's where we are. Um, But then, Cruz goes on to say, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death, should the government execute every child who is disrespectful to his parents. That is... Exactly, exactly the argumentation used by the president in the West Wing episode. In fact, I'm pretty sure I tweeted a link to the YouTube version where I played that exact segment. But here's Ted Cruz doing it. A self-professed Christian demonstrating a fundamental ignorance of the holiness code. That ignores grace and the New Testament as if grace does away with God's holiness. Grace does not do away with God's holiness. Senator Cruz, it doesn't. And then, to, to quote John 8, again, a text not found in any Greek manuscript, 
of the Gospel of John before the 5th century. Um, it's a known story, but it appears in multiple places in John. It appears in the Gospel of Luke. It is so clearly a later addition to the text. And to say, well, there you go. And that's not what... But even if, even if you ignore the textual issue with the pericope adultery, even if you ignore that, that's not what Jesus was saying. He, was, he wasn't saying, oh, God's holiness doesn't mean anything to me. God's law is irrelevant. That's not what he was saying. He is talking to people who evidently had, had caught her. And he was saying to them, they were hypocrites. He revealed to them with whatever he wrote on the ground that they were hypocrites. That they deserved the punishment as well. He wasn't saying, hey, nations should just allow bestiality and pedophilia and everything just to run rampant. And that's good because he who is, you need to be without sin to cast the first stone. Um, there you go. It was, uh, it was sad to see. It was really, really sad to see. Uh, but this, we have to, we have to recognize that's where the vast majority of people are when it comes to God's law. The vast majority of people, that's where they are, is where uh, Ted Cruz was. Hey, I got into trouble. I've only got a few minutes left here. Uh, because I'm only going to go an hour. Because like I said, when I stop this thing, I'm hoping there's going to be a file there. <laughs> Otherwise, I've been sitting here staring at this new camera that we've got. Got two new cameras here. Um, and accomplished absolutely nothing, which could happen. I'm thinking I got it right. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm hoping anyways. Anyway, I got into trouble. I uh, I responded, and I didn't bring this up, so I can't quote it, but I, I responded to someone else's, uh, someone else made a comment um, about Thomas Aquinas. And by the way, I had some some guy, Derek Bright, I think, posted a picture from the God who justifies. I didn't know, but I had made reference at one point um, to Thomas Aquinas. Actually, what it was, I'd made. I was talking about Romans three twenty eight. I was talking about Luther's rendering. Uh, faith alone, the accusation of Roman Catholics, he was changing the word of God. And I was giving examples of people before Luther, Roman Catholics before Luther, who had rendered it faith alone, sola fide. And one of the people that I quoted likewise said that Aquinas had rendered it that way. Something along those lines. And so I'm not really sure why, but Derek Bright decided that that somehow was inconsistent for me. I'm just like, okay, all right, well, if you say so. Um, it was similar to a comment, maybe I can find it here uh, before we get too far. Oh, yeah, there we go. I, I think I might be able to find this here. 
Hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, I was looking for something that, that Steve had said. Uh, Steve Camp has said to me. He made some comment about Theonomus that was just so far off base. It was it was sort of sad, but I can't can't find it now. But um, anyway, uh, that's the that's the problem trying to find stuff on the fly while you're recording live. Anyway, Stephen Wolf, I I've switched over to using TweetDeck now, so maybe I'll see more notifications. I don't know. Hopefully, it takes up more room on the screen, but I'm trying anyways. Uh, Stephen Wolf went after me. And it's it's always the same thing from Thomas. Thomas are like a broken record. There, there isn't enough variation amongst these people. <laughs> it's just, even when they disagree with each other, it's still the same argument. You just haven't read as much as I have. Well, I've read more than you have. Well, I've read... Um, and basically... He was literally arguing that what we call Thomism today was just what all Reformed people believed only a century ago. And basically, now the, the, the big theme, I guess, is that the 20, 20th century was just a bunch of idiots. Uh, and the chief idiot was Cornelius Van Til. And we made up a complete, completely never heard of before Reformed view of man. Because I had made a comment about Thomas's anthropology and how his anthropology is not a biblical anthropology. It's certainly not a reformed anthropology. And he was just going after me on it. Just uh, not very kindly either. And I'm and, and like, well, he just, just read this, just read that. And he's, he's posting a bunch of stuff that really didn't have anything to do with it. Um, but he, he went to Calvin and I, I read just a few lines past where he quoted because he was talking about how God had created man upright and things like that with certain capacities and we don't we don't uh, denigrate the capacities that God has given to man and all the rest of that stuff but then he goes on to say but none of that changes the fact that an unregenerate sinner is as blind as a mole when it comes to divine truths which was the whole point and I was just I was really taken aback. I had known that I just didn't like Wolf's book. Um, there was just, it did not speak with a reformed voice. And now I know why. Uh, he may be a Presbyterian and stuff like that, but the, uh, the essence of God's sovereignty, man's deadness and sin, um, the reality that God's revelation does get through, but is invariably suppressed as an act of rebellion on the part of the natural man by means of all sorts of things, whether it's religious suppression or anything else, uh, just doesn't seem to be a part of what he thinks is Reformed theology. And so I was, it, it was, uh, it was revealing. It was really, really revealing and it's another reason why I just I do not use the term Christian nationalist because it's going to be directly associated with him and his perspective and I want nothing to do with it want nothing to do with it sorry Cannon picked that book up to be honest with you guys really am I think that was a swing and a miss um, especially with what's come out since then 
um, I don't think you you wanted to be connected with some of the things that unfortunately you're stuck with now. Um, not not that you all support that kind of stuff, but the book's there. Uh, but the whole the whole term. If all you mean by Christian nationalism is two verses. Blessed is a nation whose God is Yahweh, and sin is a rebuke to any nation, to any people. Fine. What you're saying is, it's okay for a nation to seek God's blessing, and the way to find God's blessing in light of the fact that Jesus is the one who is enthroned on glory. And I actually, I actually was going to bring accordance up, and I'll keep it for the next time. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll not shut everything down. I'll just keep this here. I want to do, um, well, I hope I remember to do this. I hate when I promise to do something and I forget. I want to look at the use of Psalm 8 and Psalm 110 by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and especially um, for he must reign, because you know, I've got my shirt. It would be good to wear my, one of my shirts, because I've got a bunch of them now, that have... Daigar Altan Basel Yuan, for it is necessary for him to reign. Akri Hu, in First Corinthians 15.25, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. What does that mean? Um, and then to compare that with the Greek Septuagint, there's a slight change. And very often that slight change can be very... Uh, illuminating. And so we'll be looking at that um, next time around. But if all we're talking about is nations wanting to fulfill those verses and recognizing that since Jesus Christ is enthroned in heaven, that the only way to have that blessing is to follow his law word, his revelation of what is pleasing in his sight. If that's Christian nationalism, great. But unfortunately, a lot of folks have gone way past a basic definition like that. And I think have gotten into things that I don't know that we're mature enough to be discussing yet. And the only way to discuss it, I believe, I believe the big division, and it's one that Wolf recognizes, is between those who would say that this can be done by a minority and those that would say the only way it can truly be done that is lasting is by a massive work of the Spirit of God in drawing the nations unto Christ. So you've either got a post-millennial theonomic understanding or you've got the Thomistic Stephen Wolf view. Don't want anything to do with that. I agree with you. That doesn't work. That's off to the side. Uh, this is the only is the only way. And until that move of the spirit happens, working on details <laughs> is pretty silly. That's one of the things that Steve said. Steve Steve Camp said something about like, I can't find it now. Um, again, that's one of the wonders of things here. Um, Maybe it was under replies. Let me just just scroll down here real quick. Da, 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 da. Um, yep. Nope. 
Can't find it. Anyways, uh, he, he said something along the lines of he was sort of mocking, quote-unquote, Christian nationalists, or, or maybe it was post-millennialists. I don't remember which. He had said he was glad that I had repented of it, and I just provided him with numerous um, uh, video references to YouTube where I hadn't. Um, but he was right. The idea you got a bunch of young guys that are going to come along and somehow save the world without that move of the Spirit first. That is pretty silly. There's, there's no question about it. I can, I can join and go, yeah, okay, right. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the overarching principles, that the only way of blessing is going to come that way, by submission to Jesus Christ, are not true. They are true. And we need not be embarrassed by them. But we need also to have to contextualize them within the entirety of Christian truth. So we'll we'll try to I'll, hopefully if I leave accordance up at this reference, <laughs> that'll be a good reminder. Unless something happens between now and then, and I come walking in here focused on something else, and I got no one to remind me. Uh, we're flying solo this week, as I said. So I hope this has worked out. From as far as I can tell, I can see the meters moving. It says it's recorded for an hour and six minutes. Uh, hopefully, all that's going to end up working out somehow, some way. Um, I'm I'm hoping, anyways. <laughs> we, we will we will see. We will we will see. So we appreciate your watching. We'll see you next time. God bless.